Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Believe it or not, God has placed you here today for a purpose. It may be beyond what you can understand at the moment, but that means that he is preparing you for what is to come. God will use all those who are willing to glorify him in all aspects of their lives. So the question to you and I are, is are we willing for God to use us? And are we ready to see God do something that only he can do? And that's the title of our message today, Something Only God Can Do. And uh, my friend John Watkins, who is our associational missionary, uh, he has used this term a lot, so I texted him and made sure I didn't owe him any royalties on this saying. But uh, it, it's just so apropos for what we're going through today. Today's message is a combination of our month-long journey we've been taking through the Scriptures to discover things like new starts and the goodness of God and, and how He restores us and what He expects from us. So today, we want to give honor to God for the things that only He can do. As we enjoy our worship service this morning in this beautiful sanctuary, I cannot help but think about where we started from. It's important to know our origin story because it gives us the framework of why we are here and what we have come from. Some here will know this story well and can probably fill in the gaps better than I can. But for the purpose of our time today, I've included in your bulletins a story written by Ellen B. Watson many years ago that talk about the history of Homeland Park Baptist Church. Let's take a moment and look at that. It all began with a tattered Christmas card, a boy who needed help, and a young woman who cared. At the time, that was Miss Frances Glenn, and she was a a sales associate at Gallant Belt downtown. And so, Homeland Park Baptist Church had a seed planted in its Christmas card written to a lonely little boy in a reform school. A newspaper account of the youngster in trouble burdened the heart of a young Christian lady, Miss Frances Murphy, who was later named Clyde, or married to Clyde Glenn. At Christmas time, she sent a card to the little fellow. In a few weeks, a soiled envelope with the child's handwriting was received on the same Christmas card that had been sent with this simple message, Please find my mother and tell her to write me. With assistance from the postal authorities, the mother was finally located in an area of Anderson known as Tin Town. If you want to know where Tin Town is, all you have to do is look at our Family Life Center. That entire, even where the baseball fields are, that was nothing but tin shacks with, um, how, how can I say this politely, with the bathrooms were self-dug, if you know what I mean. And so it was a, a bad, I mean, they were sweet people living there, but they were poor. They were living in tin shacks right behind us where our fellowship hall is. From this meeting with the mother and the subsequent visits into the community, the need for God and his word was felt by Miss Murphy 
feeling the Holy Spirit leading, she made plans for a Sunday school. The first meeting was held in one of the homes on October 29, 1939. And actually, from what I understand, they, even before they started meeting in a house, they were meeting on the grass. They were meeting and having small studies, and they were teaching the people of Tintown how to read. That's where this started. And then the Sunday school mission grew. The other Christians began to help. And then they moved into a storefront or the back of the store until eventually First Baptist Church of Anderson erected the first permanent building just east of the present property. And if I remember correctly, and if I am correct, I believe it's the building right over there. It is now an AA building. That's where we started. Many of you know this. this is no secret to you, but many of you are new, newer to us. Maybe you didn't know that's where we came from. I just think it's amazing that First Baptist Anderson was the ones that helped fund us. I think it was like $5,000 back in the day. $5,000 back in that day was a lot of money to build the first church. So, seeing... Well, the Sunday school mission grew. Other Christians began to help. And eventually, First Baptist Church erected the building. The chapel was dedicated in May 6, 1945. And on November 14, 1945, the Southern Baptist Church organized, was organized with three, or not three, 33 charter members. A few years later, six Sunday school rooms were added. Seeing the potential for growth... A three-acre tract of adjoining land was purchased. The present education building was completed and occupied on June 6, 1954. Because, yes, the building behind us used to be the church. The choir room used to be the sanctuary. And that was, that was everything there. So they went from there to there until now we pick up the story. Seeing the potential for growth, the present educational building was completed on June 6, 1954. Then plans were started later for a permanent auditorium. This dream was realized, and the present auditorium, which we are meeting in, was dedicated on September 25, 1966. Here we are, 84 years later. Homeland Park Baptist Church that started as a church plant, a church mission in 1939. Look, we have many churches in our association, and I do not mean to throw shade at any other church, but I've been in ministering long enough to know, and you've been around to know that there are many good, God-fearing people that they want to go plant a church where there is a people group that need it. And I am all for it, but I also know there are times where half the church gets mad at the other half of the church, so they go off and start their own church and call it a church plant, a church whatever, but it's really a church split. I am so grateful to know, and I think somewhere along the way over the years, we maybe have lost sight of the fact that this church where we are at today started with one woman, a saleswoman at Gallant Belk that had a passion, compassion for somebody that was hurting and put some work into it to begin what we have today. Now we have beautiful buildings now. I know they're dated, but aren't we all? 
But this church started to minister to Tintown. And though Tintown may be gone, the spirit of Tintown is all around us. Go down Key Street. Go down Roosevelt. Go down Masters Boulevard. Go over there in the Verena's Heights area. You'll see that a lot of things have not changed. So here we are, 84 years later. The heart of this one young Christian lady that moved, she was moved by God to do something only he could do. I am sure that when she first started, that she didn't think that this would be what the, the eventual result would be. Many have come through this church. We stand on the pillars of former pastors and lay leaders that have built it and brought us to this point. The church has weathered the cultural shifts of the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and now we're in the 2000s. The demographics of our community have changed, haven't they? We've had recessions, times of abundance, times when every pew in here was packed, and then times of scarce attendance. Boy, we've seen covid We've seen all of these things happen. We've seen culture around us change, but for some reason, we are still here. The vision of one woman at Gallenbelk has caused us to still be here today. Some of you knew the story. Some of you had no clue. But as a pastor, I am convicted and encouraged to know that we need to get back to why we started in the first place. We didn't get started as a church to brag about our numbers. We didn't get started in our church to brag about our building. We got started because there were people that were in need and we needed to do whatever it took to reach them. We are still here today because we are part of something only God can do. When I say we, I mean we. That means everybody in here. Many of you are very involved. I have never seen a church where I've seen as many people involved having multiple titles doing, for example, keeping children's church, the rotation between that and the nursery. Our parents are busier. I would say we've got the busiest parents at any church around. The senior adults that have carried the load for the ten years that I've been here. We were talking earlier. Some of them have gone on to be with the Lord, but they set the pace for you who are sitting here today. And there are several of you here that just come on Sunday morning. And hey, I am grateful that you're here, but you're here for a purpose. Have you prayed and asked God what that is? What if Miss Glenn would have just said, oh, that is sweet, and throw the card away? We wouldn't be here, would we? Because it was something only God can do. And He wants to use you and I to do it. Do we have all that we want in the way of help in our church? Absolutely not. Do we have the attendance that we hope we had? Absolutely not. Do we have all that God has provided for us at the moment that we need it? Absolutely. So with this, I want to transition to our scripture this morning. We're going to look at Gideon. When thinking about our time today, God directed me to this passage that illustrates that God can use the most insignificant resources to do the most amazing things. The book of Judges is a collection of leaders God used to judge the people for God. Judges is the book that chronicles the common people that God raised up to lead Israel before there was a king. 
And so the judge we're looking at is Gideon. Enemies were all around Israel. Israel had strayed in their commitment to God by worshiping other idols. And it was time for God's people to return to him. And Gideon was going to be used to make that happen. So in our passage, we see a very unconventional way that God used Gideon to lead the people to defeat their enemies. The Midianites were an enemy of God's people, and they were a very large army. It says in chapter 6, verse 5, that the Midianite army was too big to count. So as we look at our passage, the first thing that we see is that God places you in a place of dependence. God places you in a place of dependence. Now, it says here in verse 1, So Jerubal, that is Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. Now, I know y'all are blessed when the pastor throws up maps on the screen, right? That'll just bless your heart. Many of y'all didn't know that, but the back of your Bible has maps in it. And so what the, we're not going to go into a map study, but I do want to kind of give you a lay of the land. If you can see it from where you're at, this encounter is taking place just southwest of the Sea of Galilee. Those of you New Testament Christians, you know all about the Sea of Galilee, but this is Thousands of years before that. And so we see this to the left and down is the hill of Morah where the Midianites were. And then there was a spring of Herod. So when you're looking at, at, at battles and, and warfare, you know that if you have the height advantage on the hill of Morah, then you've got a, a place of advantage. But all this stuff is happening around the very same places where Jesus would walk. And that's the only thing I wanted to tell you. As far as that map being shown. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they save themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. (laughs) So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. So God has just told Gideon, look, you got a lot of people here, but if y'all win this battle, y'all going to say, hey, I got, we got a great army. No, we're not going to do that. I want you to just find out who's really with you, Gideon. Go ahead and say, hey, if you're scared, go home. I'm sure he was thinking 100, 200, maybe even 1,000. 22,000 People fled. What does that tell you? It tells you that 22,000 people really weren't with Gideon. <laughs> 22,000 people. Can you imagine? You know, they say in ministry when people leave a church or when things don't happen in a church, things go wrong, that uh, the preacher and the staff, they don't need to take it personally. The lay, the lay leadership don't need to take it personally. But if I'm a commander and I give every, hey, if you're scared, go home. 22,000 people leave? That's going to be a hit, isn't it? They say, okay, God, you know exactly what's going on. So we continue. And we see that those 10,000 were willing to fight. And I would say that those 10,000 that were willing to fight 
would have been a lot better if he had the other 22,000 people that would have just been in the way. We know because of verse 8, Gideon's army could see the Midianite army. So as he says, look, look at that big old army over there, guys. We're going we're gonna to take them. If you're scared, go home. <laughs> They're gone. Do the math here, folks. 22,000 people left. 10,000 remain. They started with 32,000 people in the army. And his army was already overmatched by 135,000 Midianites. In one statement of saying, if you're scared, go home, because God told him to say it, in one statement, he lost 69% of his army. More than half were gone. Can you imagine the visual and emotional impact of seeing them leave? An already tense situation gets worse, and then God (laughs) gives them the next step. God was going to make sure everyone knew this battle would be won in his strength, not the Israelite army. So it says in verse 4, but the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Are you sure, God? God, have you, are you counting wrong? But no, he says, Gideon, there's still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them. By the way, this is a side note. Gideon was serving God. If you serve God, God will test you. That's what this is, a test. He's testing Gideon. Do you trust me? Or are you going to put your faith in your army? He says, I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup the water in their hand and lap it up with their tongues like a dog. So they would sit there and they would be looking up. And they would put their hand down in the stream and they would look it up and drink it and everything would be great. But they'd be looking up and doing that. And then in the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink their mouths, drink with their mouths into the stream. So the other extreme is that you had the groups go. Then you had the other groups that go, boom, and they just head playing in the water and they're just drinking it all up. Split them up in those two groups. Well, then he says, only 300 of the men drank from their hands, and all the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in a stream. This is not just some random thing God did to see who would do what and to get his enjoyment. This was an actual military test. Because the ones that were drinking and lapping it up like dogs, they still had their eyes up. If those men were sitting there and they had their face in the water and they were on all fours drinking their water, then the enemy could have snuck up on them like that and killed them. The ones that were lapping up the water, they were still on mission. And so that is the picture here. It says, Then the Lord told Gideon, With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you over to the Midianites. Send all the other ones home. So he's like, okay, guys. So, hey, guys, by the way, if you're the ones that kind of got on all four and stuck your face in the stream, go home. If I would have been one of the ones that did the lap, lap up like a dog, still look it up, I'd be like, are you sure? So you're looking around, you see that huge army, and they went from 32,000 to 300. Those of you that are smarter than me, you can do the math on that one. 
But I'll tell you what, it's a lot less than they started with. Can we agree with that? Well, the Lord, again, verse 7, the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites, send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions, the ram's horn of the other warriors, and sent them home, but he kept the 300 men with him. So he said, y'all go home, I'm going to take your horns, I'm going to take your supplies, you just go home. What we see here is that Gideon could only trust in God because there was nothing else to trust. Gideon could only trust in God because there was nothing else to trust. Have you been in that position before? I know I have. Where everything that you think, that you, every kind of asset, every kind of help, every kind of thing that you think that you can do in your own strength to get something done, it just falls apart. And then there's God saying, are you ready to watch me do something that only I can do? Now, the Israeli army was less than 1%, 1% of its original size, and the proportion of the Midianite soldiers was far greater than that. Gideon could only trust in God because there was nothing else. So how do we apply it to our situation? It's hard to rely on God when you're not in need. You see, being too self-sufficient leads us to believe we can accomplish anything in our own strength. There is no room for God to work in your life if you are full of yourself. It's a very simple principle. Whether you like Kool-Aid or lemonade or whatever else, if you take your mix and you put in the thing, and then you put the water in it and you fill it up and you got a nice pitcher of lemonade, you may want to add more to it. You may say, hey, i got eight more people coming. Let me add some more. But there's no more room in it. It would, it would flow over the top. And my friends, if you are in your life full of your desires and your wants, even though they may be good, if you have no room for God to work in them, there is no room for God. Because if you're full of yourself, you don't have room for God. <laughs> I don't know, I guess it's just a Donna and I thing. But uh, Donna, sometimes she'll get, they'll do an update on her phone or they'll do something with tech. I don't know if y'all deal with this with your spouses or family. But she'll just say, here, James, fix this. I'm like, sure, okay. But the minute I start pushing buttons, no, you're not doing it right. <laughs> no, 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 just, just give it back to me. I'll do it. No, 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 it's wrong. And I'm like, do you want me to help or not? But the thing is here is that many times God calls us to do something. We say, okay, God, you do it, but here's how I want you to do it. And then God will say, okay, fine, I'm not going to do it. If you truly want God to do something that only he can do, you have to give yourself over to him. You would think you have a large amount of people and resources that would be a help to work for God, but the temptation is to rely on what you have rather than what God gives. For example, some of the greatest people in the Bible needed God. Moses had a speech impediment. Noah, they thought he was crazy because they had never seen rain. Jacob wrestled with an angel and walked with the limp for the rest of his life. Paul had a thorn in his side that he prayed for three times for God to remove. Some of the greatest 
men in the Bible and even women in the Bible that were used by God had something that made them humble. But I think it goes back to Philippians 4.13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. God doesn't want Homeland Park Baptist Church to grow so the preacher can say, Oh, look how good that preacher did. Look how sweet those people are. Look at, look at how much money they got in the church. Look at how many programs they got in the church. What we're doing is we're saying, look at what we're doing with what little bit we have. But it's God that is doing it. Second thing we see is that God works in ways you won't understand. Just trust him. In verses 17 through 22, it says, we've, we've gone a little further in the scripture. Then he, meaning Gideon, said to them, keep your eyes on me. And when I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. Now, that's leadership right there, folks. Keep an eye on me and do what I do. Not do what I say to do, but do what I do. As soon as I... And those with me, blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. For the Lord and for Gideon. I'm just kind of imagine this high school band that you see in like the parades. The horn section just all encircling this camp. And say, okay boys, I'm sure the guys are saying, okay, I got my sword. No, you don't need that. What? I don't need my sword. Well, how about my, my sling and my rocks? No, you don't need that. Imagine it today. Okay, boys, we're going to go take this hill right here and leave your M16s in the tent. No, we don't, we don't need the Hummers. We don't need the tanks. Just get your trumpet. <laughs> huh? I mean, but that was, that was the picture here. And then it says in verse 19, it was just after midnight. Or some translations say beginning of the second watch. After the changing of the guard, when Gideon and a hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp, suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their jar clay, their clay jars. So I guess they went to Lowe's or the pottery or whatever and they got as many clay jars as they could and they started making a racket. Probably sounded like what Childress Church sounds like right now. Trumpets and clay pots smashing them. Verse 20, then all three groups blew their horns and broke the jars. They held a blazing torch in their left hand and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Verse 21, each man stood in his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. So here they are. they got a, a trumpet in one hand and, and broken clay jars in the other hand. And they're shouting for the Lord and for Gideon. And they're looking down at this huge army that scared away 99% of the army that they started with. And they're looking down and all of a sudden this huge army is turning on themselves and killing one another. Verse 
Verse 21, each man stood at his position around the camp and watched all Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. Then we see again, 22, when the 300 Israelites blew the ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places far away as Beth Shittah near Zerah and to the border of Abel-Meloah near Tabith. This was something only God can do. 300 men against an army. The enemy is defeated without them having to draw a single weapon. The Israelites didn't fight this battle. God did. A church partnered with Homeland Park Baptist Church to reach this community 84 years ago. People joined that church because they had a passion to join what this lady started to reach these people. I am sure that this was not, back in the day when this first started, this was not a social club. Now, granted, I know Homeland Park has changed over the years. But they didn't start this church because somebody was mad at a different church. They started it because they had a passion for what God wanted them to do. For over 80 years, God has continued to use this church to reach the community. So, folks, let's remember why we are here and what God has called us to do. Do we have all the resources and the staff and the people we would like? No. But it it is amazing of what God is doing with those we have, just like Gideon's men. It may not make any sense what we're doing right now. We maybe have our trumpets and our clay pots, and we're doing what the Lord has called us to do, but it's what the Lord called us to do. And we are seeing God do something here at Homeland Park Church in a Homeland Park community, which is something only God can do. We have seen the, 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 the statistics, the ages, the, the trend of our church has totally changed in the last ten years. Those pillars of faith that were with us for many years have gone on to glory and now younger ones are stepping in. As opposed to we could have been shutting our doors. Why? Because we're doing something only God can do. It is amazing what God is doing. And it is God calling you to join us in continuing to reach the community in the world. Let's not forget what we came from, folks. Let's not forget where we are. And let's not forget where God could take us. Not only as a church, but an individual. Are you ready to see God do something in your life that only he can do? Maybe he's calling you to sign up for something, to do something, to to take an initiative on something that makes no sense to you. About as much sense as telling a warrior to blow a horn and smash a clay pot. But watch what God can do. As we wrap up our time for the message this morning... I just have a prayer for you, and I feel like Paul said it best, so we're just going to read that prayer. His prayer for us is my prayer for you and I in Homeland Park Baptist Church today. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. When I think of all this, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything. 
in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. My friends, may God do something in you and our church that only he can do. But the only way that he'll be able to do that if we are one with him and we are one with one another. And one way that we can signify that, symbolize that, is one of the most intimate meals that was ever performed. It was the Last Supper as Jesus was with his disciples and they observed the Last Supper, communion. So we're going to do that together today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time thus far. And Lord, as I've been preparing this message, this has been a message that has been on my heart for a year. For us to remember what we've came from and what we are really here to do, God, is to reach people and to love people and have the faith to say, whatever we got, Lord, you can use it and you can multiply. We may not have what everybody else has, but we have what you want us to have so you can get the glory for it. We are here today. The the lights are on. The doors are open. And people are in these pews. And our children's church is busting at the seams. Not because we are great. Because of what you are doing here. And if there's anyone that hears this message. Anyone that sees this on video and wants to know why we are still here. It is because of you. And if they want to plug into a place to where God is at work. And we can't explain it. Then this is the place to be. Homeland Park Baptist Church is going nowhere. We, You have caused us to be here in this community, warts and all. And this is a place where we can watch you work. And that's something I want to be a part of. So if there's one person here today that wants to rededicate their life to you. Maybe someone doesn't know your son Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Following the communion, if they want to make sure that they are a part of what you're doing here, if they want to see you do something in their lives that only you can do, may they not leave today until they get right with you, Lord.